Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 222nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that stands in solidarity with all those fighting racial oppression and fascism worldwide. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host this week is Travis Allen aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Um, Our cast is recorded tonight with a remarkable set of circumstances. The second time I felt like I have said that this year. Obviously, America is burning, sort of, tonight with protests raging across the country for the fifth or sixth night in a row. Um, We have spent some time discussing today how to proceed with the episode. We weren't sure if we wanted to record, how we should address the topic, what's appropriate. Um, What we landed on is obviously we're here, we're recording, we're going to have the show this week. We want to be unequivocal in our support of the protesters of Black Lives Matters and ending police brutality. If you follow us on social media, you'll can see the extent of our opinions on this topic. Um, if you care to engage with us on it, we're available there. But we are absolutely 100% behind the protesters and the, the greater movement here. Um, we want to take the moment to encourage everyone listening to support major organizations you have um, we're going to put links in the show notes to black lives matter to the naacp legal defense fund i would also encourage you to donate to your local bail funds again this is a podcast and and a content that tends to put more money in your pocket so it'd be great if you could take some of those funds and put them into the pockets of people who are really going to need them what i don't want to do tonight is spend a lot of time covering this um, for two major reasons. The one first is that we aren't qualified to talk about it. Uh, We're two white guys watching from a distance. We're not the voices you should be listening to on this. Please seek out the voices and the the people involved in this who who really this belongs to, um, because that's not us. Uh, and also, you know, I've, I've seen this discussion in regards to some other topics and some other points in history. And we know that a lot of people probably listen to this cast because they enjoy it. It helps them kind of reset at the end of the day. Um, social media has been rough lately. Um, you know, I've been trying not to scroll through Twitter when I would get up in the morning because it is just a rough tone to start the day on. Um, so I want to, we want to put this out here. Not to distract anyone, but to make sure that you have the ability to kind of reset yourself every day um, so you're not not drowning, as it were, um, in the midst of all this. Uh, James, do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> it's kind of incredible to me that 2020 is just the never stops fucking the general population year. I mean... <laughs> Up until now, for the last few months, we've been talking every week about COVID and the far-ranging effects of a pandemic, and now we're dealing with levels of civil unrest protest and uh, counter-protest that the likes of which haven't been seen in decades, and really feels like the first 
true challenge of the you know political character and effectiveness uh, of a new generation pretty important um you know how this all unfolds from here and certainly have high hopes but equally strong fears for where things are headed i think that we are both in agreement on that um not sure where this is going to go and i hope for the best i don't know for sure um but all right we'll put some links in the show notes we're going to try and do this show as normal this week stay safe everybody uh mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff Inc. to save 5% off your order. Our show this week, a show in one, two, three, four, five parts. I had to count because I actually wasn't sure. Um, segment one are, well, I guess actually I take that back. It's four parts because at the top of the show, we would talk about the meta, uh, MTGO Metagame Week interview but with the companion bands it's sort of up in the air so we'll touch on that real briefly segment two our top paper movers um the cards that have moved in price this most week in paper and it has been a pretty active week and i think we probably have some anecdotal evidence to back that up segment two three our top mtgo movers then uh, our paper cards to watch this week and then we'll wrap up with our topic of the week. We have the bands and the companion rules change, and uh, maybe we'll have time for another tidbit in there as well. So, uh, you know, starting off the episode here, our first half a segment that kind of ties in with our topic of the week a little later, um, I guess the MTGO metagame is just up in the air, right? So the bands, they announced the bands, but they haven't gone into effect yet. When are they applied on Moto? I think... June 4th. So today is Tuesday. We're recording Wednesday, Thursday. I think it's either Thursday afternoon, evening, or overnight on Thursday. I'd have to double check. Um, so we'll have a metagame to discuss for sure next week, which will be very interesting because it'll be a test of two things. One, whether companions that cost three more to cast, uh, well, three to put in your hand at sorcery speed, nerfs companions out of various metagames across the board. And whether or not that's the case, what the meta looks like, um, given that that mechanic has been adjusted. It's um, in some ways vindicating, I think, for people that <laughs> have been complaining about mechanic, uh, the companion mechanic almost from day one to see the whole thing get nerfed. But it really draws a big red line under our early, our and many people's earlier criticisms or ongoing criticisms about companions and about how ridiculous it is that 10 card a 10 card cycle in a set got all the way through the engine of wizards of the coast and out the door in a shape that had to be retrofitted almost immediately okay you're that i i uh, pretty much on the same page there but you're you're eating into our segment four here our topic of the week so hold 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 that thought hold that thought MTGO metagame week in review. There is no metagame this week. Can we jump in the top paper movers? Are we okay with that that transition here? Let's do it. So Unbound okay. Flourishing out of Modern Horizons going from 1250 to 1650. This card's been on the move up from $5 last summer when our folks were getting in on it early. Um, 
always was the kind of card that just needed an X-focus general of a certain level of popularity to take off, and here we have Zaxara doing exactly that out of Ikoria, uh, Commander 20 decks, and uh, as a result, this is making folks money. I think I've sold three copies of this this week already, over 12. I don't doubt that. Um, following that is Cursed Totem out of 6th edition, 18 to 30, for not quite a double up, but still a pretty healthy increase. Now, I see this slot as blank. Do you, you've got no bead on where Cursed Totem price changes would be coming from, right? Like there's nothing specific, no EDH deck or anything like that. Well, I mean, Cursed Totem certainly sees play in EDH, but there's no emergent uh, commander that jumps out at me as being something that matters here. Yeah, me neither. And this sort of ties in with what I've been seeing this week is a ton of sales on stuff that was kind of already there. Uh, I've seen a lot of pick cardboard move this week, um, more much more so than I normally do. Yep, me too. I'm also finding stock numbers to be pretty wild. Uh, I mean, like I found multiple cards this week when I was browsing for my picks where the the stock was just way lower than you would expect. Um, the lowest price was several dollars higher than the market price, which all sort of says that there's just no resupply on TCG player, essentially is what's happening, um, which makes sense, right? Because we have, there have been no paper events. Oh yeah, by the way, there are no paper events for the rest of 2020 either, um, at least no major events. Oh yeah, also Channel Fireball events is probably folded too, but <laughs> I forgot we can throw those in on the top of the Well, we, we did the touch point. on that last week. It's it's an unknown okay. unknown quantity because they haven't they haven't actually commented on it in public, so no one really knows what what's going on there yet. Okay, well, I guess my thought here is the pricing and inventory levels are sort of all over the map at the moment, but cards are definitely moving. And I look at something like Cursed Totem moving, and it's like, well, uh, okay. I mean, in lack of a really good explanation, I b- totally believe that the inventory is low uh, and that the cheapest price is 30 bucks. I also am willing to believe that somebody didn't go after this. I'm not I'm not inclined to think that somebody decided to shoot a cursed totem today. I think just what happened is without any sort of influx of supply to any vendors, you're going to get all sorts of weird price, price movements or at least seemingly seem supposed price movements. I do think it's a combination of factors. I think that's, as you said, there is TCG Direct, TCG Direct, a major flow of inventory for that platform is not currently in operation. Um, a lot of vendors have taken their inventory offline, fearing, um, th- you know, throwing cards to the wind vis-a-vis the bottlenecks in the postal system, resulting in them having to refund clients, uh, a problem that many of our members have reported having this month. Um, and, and which is an ongoing problem, both uh, domestically and internationally. Um, you also have, I think there's a curve that describes the ease with which a card can be replenished, and it depends on when it was last printed and how old those printings were. So, for instance, we've seen a bunch of 5th and 6th edition cards of note taking off. Uh, Worldly Tutor and Enlightened Tutor both saw movement recently. Um, and I could easily see how people that mopped those up might have then turned around and said, okay, 
what else is reasonably popular in these sets that probably also has low inventory and hasn't seen it reprint in a long time, where even the buy lists that are making it through the system are very unlikely to be holding copies of these cards, and that as a result, you're seeing tier two, tier three stuff out of these sets being targeted. Yeah, I could I could buy that. Uh, is Curse Totem that popular? Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. What is well, I don't th- I don't think this is about popular. I, I think this is about someone taking a look at four thousand. You know, bucks. if they if they bought some worldly tutors cheap, sixth edition, and then flipped them, and it worked, they go, hmm, what else is in that set? And they go back to TCG and they sort by best selling. And if Curse Totem is, on, is pretty close to the top of that list, it could easily explain what's going on. Well, you know, I can't say, I certainly can't say you're wrong. And I can't even say that I, I, I don't think that that makes sense. There's plenty of action in this hobby that I don't, doesn't make sense to me, right? Just bad decisions being made. Um, so that's certainly a plausible explanation and I have real no better one. So I, I, I will go with it. <laughs> I got nothing better to tell you. Um, I mean, well, if we following... look at if we look at cursed totems, right? There's three left on TCG: two around thirty and one near fifty. And if you look at sixth edition, and you search by best selling, the order of events is worldly tutor, vampiric tutor, enlightened tutor, and mystical tutor, all of which are EDH super staples that have seen movement lately. I've sold, yep, I've sold copies of every single one of those tutors in the last week. I sold a 6th edition Japanese, I think 20 on a Japanese edition Worldly Tutor I picked up for 6. Uh, I sold a Judge Foil Vampiric Tutor yesterday for 120. Uh, I sold a 6th edition Enlightened Tutor Japanese for 22 or something. And I sold a Japanese EMA Mystical Tutor this morning for 13. So the 5th card on that page is Cursed Totem. So seems to in, insinuate that people were like well the tutors all moved what what's next on that list yeah i and, mean that that has seems like it could be a little bit of a chicken and an egg because maybe curse totem wasn't popular and then somebody bought 30 copies of it trying to do a worldly tutor to it and that moved it up the list possible the um although the data as we see it right now should reflect popularity leading in plus what they've purchased to accomplish that goal so yeah hard to know what it looked like six weeks ago but i can believe it i could i've also noticed movement on city of brass that's going to show up on our list this week and birds of paradise of course is on people's radar because of m21 so uh i don't think it's too far-fetched next on the list we've got plunge into darkness a card i know i have in my bad specs box um going from six to ten dollars i don't know what deck is current is suddenly running this again I seem to recall it showing up in Death Shadow builds in Modern at one point. I'm wondering if somebody had a good result with this lately. No, looks like it's just uh, showed up in a whole bunch of Commander decks. I was going to say, I don't know why you're putting the effort in to try and figure out where the demand is coming for this after the conversation we just had about Cursed Totem. Well, this is a Fifth Dawn card that I, I, I can't think of the connecting tissue that gets people to this. But the, I mean, they're still old as dirt and it is, you know, I, I would say it's pro- I, without looking, I'm going to say it's more popular than Cursed Totem and EDH. 
and you know supply what's it what's the supply difference between sixth edition it, and fifth dawn it's actually half as popular as curse totem and edh wow i got daggered on that one yeah but i mean it's, it's still 2000 decks plus um but i mean what could actually be going on here is just that there are people with that are willing to invest in inventory for the future that believe that a recovery will take place that might think it's three months six months 12 months away and they're willing to hold for that period. And and, and 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 frankly, are probably seeing single sales like you and I are strong enough to not really be too worried about it yet anyway. And as a result, they're just go, going around set by set on these 10 to 15-year-old sets and just looking at everything. And pick, picking up a few copies here, a few copies there, sharing that information with their buddies. That kind of like target 15 years ago conversation hasn't really been prevalent in our Discord, but that doesn't mean that other groups aren't doing, having that conversation. Yes, that that is true. It wouldn't be hard for a group of 15 to 100 like-minded individuals to say, okay, uh, you know, we've all been chatting. We've kind of worked ourselves into a frenzy. We're going to hit this card and then this card and then this card. And yeah, we don't really do that in ours, but... Um, I can see that happening, and you would definitely you would definitely make it seem like prices had moved if you were doing that. Was well, a philo- philosophical difference in terms of, or or more of a me- methodology difference, tend to encourage people to go after things that are at the intersection of high demand and low supply, whereas some of this is more just low supply. Like the four tutors taking off makes perfect sense. Haven't seen them in a while, and they're massive cards in EDH, and this is the year of EDH. Curse of Totem is doesn't quite fit into that category. Yeah, that's a little more like gambling, right? Like I'm hoping, I'm gambling that this is more popular than the price indicates. And also a situation where you, it, let's say you picked uh, 15 copies of Worldly Tutor. You probably don't want 15 copies of Curse of Totem. They're going to they're gonna sell that much slower. Oh, for sure. For sure. Plus, you know, they're cursed. You don't want that many in your house. <laughs> Truth. Um, City of Brass out of... Uh, Chronicles. Chronicles. 15 to 30, um, which has not been printed since, you're saying Monoconfluence. I mean, really not been printed since before Monoconfluence. It was Modern Masters, right? was the last printing for City of Brass. That sounds right. Which is actually 2013. 2013, And Monoconfluence was their... uh, Master sets are almost a decade old, if you can believe that. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Monoconfluence, was it it Theros? Uh, Born of the Gods. Okay, it was Theros Block, which would it was after 2013, I think. Was that 2015? 2014, fall. Okay. I feel like I did. I got pretty close for doing that off the top of my yeah. head. Uh, sorry, not Born of the Gods, Journey into Nyx. So the spring. Journey into Nyx, okay. Yeah, the last one. And then the only other printing of that we have is the Zendikar Expedition. So I could easily see something like Mana Confluence ending up in Commander Legends this fall. Yeah, that feels like it's very printable. In a couple different places, really. Or as uh, fresh box toppers uh, for Zendikar 3. Also fair. Uh, speaking of premium cards, this week I sold two monocrypts and a soul ring, all masterpieces, as well as like one or two other masterpieces. And those hadn't been moving much at all. So... I, I get <laughs> it must be a combination of the stimulus checks and people getting real antsy to do something. Well, and also just that 
I think the magic community that's interested in EDH has focused in hard on it. Like, I'm EDH interested. <laughs> I own EDH decks, but I've never made it a priority to only play EDH or to make, you know, if I'm going to go out on a Friday night to play magic, I'm probably going to my F&M to either draft, do a pre-release, or play modern or pioneer. But none of those options are available now. So much more likely to figure out webcam action and play EDH. Sure. I just, I thought it was, I, that struck me because it's not like I've sold one every couple of weeks or anything. It was like no, none of those really sold for a while. And then suddenly I had three or four sell in the span of a week. I was like, dang, people, people are buying the cards. I mean, I also have a theory that two interlocking theories we've been doom saying about you know risks to the markets for magic and frankly the singles market is has recovered greatly over the last eight weeks to the point where i'm not quite at my what my peak was this time last year but it's pretty pretty solidly close and feels like it's gaining momentum and I think that I've started asking people when I sell them cards where, where appropriate what they like what they do or what they're building depending on you know whether I know them at all. And cards I'm selling are selling to people that seem basically financially unaffected. There is when we have the conversation constantly on social media about the cost of magic and people chime in and say yes I agree such and such like. Modern decks are too expensive for me. I am gated from participating because I can't afford these fetches and it would really make a difference to me if they were reprinted. These are valid voices. But people need to wrap their heads around the fact that there is a big segment, and it might be a lot bigger than they realize, of not just whales in the classic sense of people that just spend oodles and oodles of money, like and my dad might spend 20 grand a year on magic. Um, more like... People that are architects, lawyers, doctors, programmers, consultants, whatever. They're, they're in white-collar jobs or they're tradespeople who are have been getting their paychecks steadily this entire time. They're bored. They love magic. And they are just going to buy cards on and basically be collectors until such time as they can figure out how, when to play again. And that probably mm -hmm. still results in a cliff for the game. Like the singles market is not necessarily safe in their hands, but it extends the life of, of the singles market for as long as those people are still committed. If they, you know, if magic didn't regain the gathering in a year, would it scare me off? Probably not. But from a personal perspective, but for a lot of people, a year would be too much. Like they would, they would just probably get absorbed into the, you know, rampant explosion of video game playing that's going on. Um, so I'm starting to come around to the idea that singles are going to be just fine, but our pursuit of a focus on EDH cards is really paying off <laughs> yeah. because. The stuff that I'm selling people is not really notable for Pioneer or Modern decks. It's pretty much all EDH cards. Yeah, out of the, oh God, I think it's something like 40 or 50 sales over the last two weeks or so, one of them had more than one copy of card. 
Yep. And now, I, a lot of the cards I list are individuals, but I mean, even still. <laughs> well, I mean, just let me, I'll, I'll, I'll read you the last 20 cards I sold. It's pretty, pretty simple, really. Um, let's take a quick look here. City of Traders, Japanese Mystical Tutor, Finale of De- Devastation Foil, Foil Russian Promo Anointed Procession, Sylvan Li- Library Japanese Fifth, uh, Acroxa, arguably hard to know whether that was Pioneer, Modern, or, or EDH, Mox Amber, Mox Amber, Mox Amber, Judge Foil Food Chain, Foil Japanese Jace Wilder of Mysteries, Primal Amulet Biobox Promos, Foil Irrigated Farmlands, Foil Mox Ambers, Unbland Flourishing, Silver Sliver Queens, Mana Vaults, Skull Briars, etc. The it's EDH. Like focusing on EDH is paying off. There it's the format that is most reasonably where the community is most amenable to continuing the gathering online if they must. Whereas the competitive players can just roll on magic online or arena and have a pretty solid experience edh is really awkward on magic online like four four player board states with 200 permanents is just ridiculous on a screen yeah whether you're playing on a digital platform or via camera it seems like it's going to be a mess i mean edh is also the four what true but the like the camera isn't a lot better uh but you at least get the gathering, and so sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and so yeah. if if and I and I truly believe that the reason that EDH is so successful is that it embraces the gathering more than other formats. There was a well, massive hole in the community that Commander filled without Wizards ever figuring it out <laughs> until after the fact, well, which is I kind mean, of yeah, incredible. I mean, the luck, the, the the stroke of luck. It's, I mean, you think about you had people like the Randy Bullies who were the Randy Bullies magic for. Randy Bullies, Randy Bueller. Yeah, Randy Bullies. I wasn't Bullies. sure if that was your personal nickname for him. You guys were buds, or what? I've I've heard, I've heard uh, similar terms. It was a nickname slash plural. The Randy Bullies of the um, of the world, yeah, of the world, but not of the world uh, of Magic. Who were running Magic for a while, and they wanted to play blue counterspell Magic on the stack type of th- stuff. And so all magic was designed to be essentially very competitive because that was the people who were making it. And then as the people in charge of magic slowly shifted and the cards began to the the the, the type of magic that people played because of the cards that were being printed shifted a little bit. And that kind of opened the door to EDH. Because, you know, if you went back and tried to build an EDH deck out of cards from pre eighth edition it's gonna be pretty ugly. Uh <clears throat> and I and you know, I guess as a writer to all of this is it's easy to burn out on competitive magic. It might take you a couple of years before you kind of get sick and tired of the grind and keeping up with all of it. Um but eventually you'll probably get there. But people don't really burn out on EDH, right? You can just you can play as much as you want. If you don't feel like it you can take a step back. You never feel like you're out of the game. Um you know, the format doesn't get ruined and you're just like, I'm not bothering to go now because this deck is dominating and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to play against the fairy all night long. Like it just lacks all of those factors that, that push people away from competitive magic. And you can just, you, you're probably a modern player for a handful of years or a pioneer player or a standard player or whatever, but you can play an EDH, be an EDH player for the entire time you own magic cards. It's just in terms of like 
your time commitment, the amount of years you spend in a format, you can't really beat EDH. The format which is why you can sell so many of these damn cards. I mean, format management is in the hands of the play group. That's the key. Is that the table of people playing feels uh, feels empowered to decide the kind of commander they want to play. Uh, whereas with competitive, you're bound by what is currently legal and people pursuing min-max strategies to win tournaments and advance their grind. Although, of course, that dream's been drastically undermined, um, as we talked about last week. But nevertheless, let's uh, keep on with this list. Pull from tomorrow out of Amonkhet, going from 2 to 450. That's Zaxara driving that. Twin cast out of Saviors of Kamigawa, 5 to 1150, 130% gains. That's Kalamax driving that. Uh, and then Protean Hydra going from, I think that's M10, if I'm not mistaken, going from 4 to $10 in non-foil, 150% gains. That's Zaxara again. Uh, Baron Master Wizard at Urza Saga, 5 to 14. That one is a question mark for me. I saw Saffron was talking about that this week, right? That, and essentially it was just people saw an opportunity like, this is a reserveless legend. I'm going to take a shot, and because the penalty is is very low, essentially, if Baron is a is a is reserveless, that explains a lot. It also works with uh, Aluna Apex of Wishes, though I don't see he's a legend. From, so he's a legend from Urza Saga. So without even looking it up, I'm almost positive. Uh, Yes, part of the reserve list. Okay. So the reserve list is what we will shall mark down then. Um, Elvish Mystic Foils out of M14, 10 to 22. Boy, I've got $3 Japanese foils. I think I have 16 of them. Should really get on listing those. Because <laughs> they, they must be worth... If these are if the English copies are $22, I must be able to get 20 bucks for the Japanese. Do I have any foil Elvish Mystics? I actually don't know if I do or not. Oh, I think I have the F&M promos. I think I have those sitting around. You know, I can't find my foil abundant growths, and I am so angry. <laughs> I know I have one of those sitting around too, but I have a massive foil collection now that isn't properly sorted, and to go through it is just a drain on the soul. So, I had a playset. I have a playset of those damn things, like twenty bucks a piece. They're not in a deck somewhere. I. Well, that's just the thing. I can't figure out what deck they would be in. Like I, I didn't look through every deck box I own, but I don't think I had any deck boxes assembled that were not EDH. I don't mm. know. I'm sure I will find them after they get reprinted. So as I was putting this list together, I referred this one back to our Discord because Cloud Shredder Sliver Foils out of Modern Horizons apparently went from 5 to 13. There's hardly any online anywhere in North America. Still plenty of copies in Europe under 4 bucks. This is predicated on a 5-1 legacy uh, challenge uh, list from May 31st. People have taken swipes at cards that are probably not long-term staples in Legacy. I mean, Slivers has always been present in Legacy. I think I played it at GP Jersey in 2013 or 2014. Um, it's, it's present. People sleeve the cards up. That is the extent. Yeah, you, you have guys like me that don't care about, about winning it. that will show up with the deck. but and, and it can certainly take down some games. And obviously, you know, we, we've seen it top eight here and there for years. But I think it would probably be solidly understood to be tier two or tier two point five in Legacy. Um, That's charitable. I mean, it does get to run Force of Will and Days, so it can't be that bad. But 
the Cloud Shredder Sliver is only a two of in the deck. <laughs> There's nowhere to play Legacy this year. Is this also an EDH and casual card? Sure, like any Sliver is. Um, but I think the most important part here is that if if a Modern Horizons Foil Rare can dry up this quickly, um, s- start paying attention to which other ones look like they could go off, because they will. Yeah, and it, oh man, I've, this is so easy to get sidetracked on. But this is, you know, this 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 concept represents uh, what could be a pretty interesting development because now that we know that paper events for the rest of the year are canceled, you are not going to see vendors with significant resupplies until at least next year. Um, and we are, we, you know, we are both coming to the table with a lot of anecdotal evidence showing that card sales are high inventory is having trouble replenishing. Like there are, there are uh, clearly issues in the greater supply chain here that are causing price increases and people are still buying cards. And then you add on to the fact that that's been going on for what, three months now, roughly three and a half months. And we've got at least six more of this to go. It is. It could get, be getting pretty wild in terms of movement on cards that you wouldn't expect. And when we talked about this, even just two months ago, we're like, "Well, these picks look good, but because of COVID, like they could go from two or three month picks to like nine month picks, or even longer." But now it's like, uh, "Oh yeah, so it, this card would have been a long term pick, but." Vendors can't restock it, which means the 20 copies online are literally the only 20 liquid copies in the country right now. So it turns out this card's going to be gone in a week. Uh, I don't know. But it, it feels like by the rest of this year, it could be nuts for what we see in terms of price movements. I definitely don't want to be targeting... Well, I mean, standard cards were already dead to us, but... I. I want nothing to do with standard only cards and pioneer and modern are, are big old pauses given that you're getting double master shortly. That's going to have a bunch of relevant reprints. Many of those, which reprints are going to fall into a dead space market. So stuff that has overlap with EDH or is squarely EDH or EDH plus casual. That's all super safe, super good. Um, the high end collector stuff, as much as people are pointing fingers at it and decrying it, it's the safest place to be right now because the people with money are the ones who can keep buying cards and they're the ones who are happy to pick up $120 promos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's... The magic market is kind of slowed down at the start of COVID, but it's picked back up apparently. And I, I think it's going to be pretty meaningful <laughs> over the next couple months. But all right. Daxos returned out of uh, Commander 2015, $1.50 to 5 um, This is just more shooting at Commander-only cards. Uh, wait, Daxos returned. Oh, that is a Commander-only. Yeah. That's the black-white card that when you play an enchantment, you get an experience counter. And then yeah, okay. you get to make enchantments that have power and toughness equal to your experience counters. Yeah, okay. So that was the one that was alongside Marin. Yeah, Marin. And it's got it's got interest from Theros Beyond Death probably this year. Plus it's just people have just made a list of all the commanders that have been out of print for a while that haven't seen a reprint, and they're either know or are betting that they're not going to be in Commander Legends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then th- yeah. this year is the year of Commander, so 
may as well go after all the stuff that's in short supply. Yeah, so sure, why not? Uh, Combat Celebrant here at Amoncat Foils 10 to 35 is in a, an impressive 6,088 Trek decks. Probably wouldn't have expected that. Um, and anyone building Winota decks is probably going to Combat Celebrant. Winota also showed up, has been showing up big online. Um, I saw people like talking about banning her in what I presume is historic, but I'm not even positive. But I and anytime I think that you see a legend with a surge in viability and competitive, I think there's probably an after image in Commander as well because people are like, oh wow, this card is wrecking people in historic. I'm going to build a Commander deck out of it. Um, but regardless, it looks like a looks like a good day for Combat Celebrant here, and exactly the type of card that I think people would have you know they have one copy kicking around and whenever they go to the gps or their local store um you know the buyer would pick it out because they know they can make some money for it you get to sell some random foil mythic that you got in a draft that you've just been sitting on but with all that gone you know where are these coming from well the other thing i've noticed is that card market opportunities are getting better and better again because the European vendors are certainly tuned into the fact that they can buy lists stuffed to the U.S., but with buy lists both A, less present, and B, weaker in terms of dollars offered, um, they're less inclined to be chasing EDH specs in this way. So when somebody mentioned, uh, I think it was Chicago Style Gaming uh, on Twitter, mentioned Combat Celebrant, uh, or maybe, no, MTG Staples maybe? Yeah, MTG Staples, I think. Um, mentioned Combat Celebrant, I checked card market and found six foil Japanese copies at $6 a piece that were signed by the artist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if these are going to be $20 regular foils, then I'm happy to pick up $6 Japanese signed foils for a fraction of the price. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want any of that nonsense, but I'm sure somebody does. So doesn't seem like you're going to lose out there. Teamer Sabretooth, uh, I think we flagged this way back at Fabry Forge as a long-term commander card. Sure enough, foils go from 6 to 25. Pretty sure that's a win for me from like two years ago, but I'll have to go back and double check. Uh, great green EDH card, super duper open-ended synergy thing. No foil reprint since it's been uh, printed, so uh, you can expect this to experience upward pressure until it catches one. Reforge this... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying 25, but I'll buy... 15 yep 12 to 15 yep 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 reforge the soul out of avison restored foils from 7 to 40 in theory on the back of uh yidris needing any and all wheel of fortune effects goblin king foils out of 7th edition from 885 to 550 for a 465 gain 547 percent um that's those aren't real numbers but 7th edition foil cards continue to get pressured up uh, over time, so I could easily buy that. That is now a hundred to hundred and twenty-five dollar card. Yeah, I mean, if it start, if it was eighty-five, I mean, even hundred twenty-five, one hundred thirty isn't like an astronomical price increase, and you're see- realizing forty and fifty dollar gains on that. So, seems quite viable. And and against all odds, pressure on seventh edition foils just doesn't seem to ever let up. It's just become this part of magic culture that seventh edition foils are coveted. Black, the only well, bl- yeah. the, the, the black bordered core set foils when the when the non foils were white bordered. We had we had somebody in our Discord the other day who has been playing Magic not long enough to have had to have asked what was the big deal like why why was white bordered a thing? And I had to explain that core sets used to be zero reprints, no new card. I mean all reprints, zero new cards, 
and they denoted that with white borders. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I have. I am hoping to uh, send any future children to college on my playset of uh, foil seventh edition Birds of Paradise. Nice. Yeah, I just need them to hit about ten grand each, and I'll be in business. So finishing things off, we got twin cast foils out of Magic uh, 2010, uh, eight to seventy in theory on Calamax. I don't think anybody's going to buy a seventy dollar foil twin cast from you, but by all means, test the market <laughs> at whatever level you feel justified. <laughs> this last one's even worse. Golden Wish at a Judgment foils a dollar fifty to twenty. Cards completely useless in EDH. You can't. There's no sideboards or external cards allowed, so these wishes don't work, right? uh is that what we determined didn't we talk about this not that long ago yeah i, I, I thought think it, i think it came up with burning wish at some point is my understanding is that wishes are supposed to be like in a casual setting it wishes any card that you own like in an edh game it's literally any card from outside the game and if you are playing at like a side event at a gp you're supposed to bring like a 15 or 20 card sideboard I don't think so, because if that was true, you would expect wishes to be in the thousands on EDH. And I'm only, I saw like 29 reported well, decks for Golden Wish and 183 for Burning Wish. I so, mean, I, I suppose you'd probably be more than, than, than what you've got. But I mean, like, they're not really like in the spirit of the format, I guess. Like, if you're playing at home, you're probably not bothering, because then you have to lug the damn things around and, you uh, Hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. I could just be making shit up. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Should really. I refuse to look. Yeah, like a con- I've heard the common house rule ten card sideboard thing, but uh, let's put it this way: I- I've never had anybody ask me for a golden wish. I've never seen one played against me. Uh, collectors may still oh. hold this price because, again, where are you going to find a foil rare from Judgment? And the art's pretty cool on this card um but again this just reeks to me of targeting 15 year old cards um ah uh, yeah i can't i'm not immediately finding an answer so uh so, so, right. sorry somebody will yell at us in the discord it's fine as soon as we post the podcast that's fine all right, oh, so wow. moving on to a quick list of top action on magic online this week the first thing i want to note is that the short uh, shorting of war cards that I called out on Twitter last week, telling people that at minimum, even if you don't give a shit about MG Finance, if you have a bunch of important war cards like Karn the Great Creator, Teferi Time Raveler, etc., you should absolutely have sold them ahead of the relaunch of war drafting on Magic Online because it is va- basically inevitable that when a set that has not been being drafted for a long time suddenly starts being drafted, Whatever its most expensive rares and mythics are, are going to crash, and especially the rares. And the two most expensive cards in War are both rares, not mythics. They were Karn and Teferi. And if you got out on them before the drafting started and got back in on them at the peak, you would have saved yourself anywhere from 5 to 10 tickets per copy, which is not chump change. And if you shorted that action via rental account, let's say that you had 250 ticks at 750 a week and you set it up for just the one week to handle it, you could have been up like 45 tickets over 750 times the number of times you did that. Which is That's... just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> that's, that's a nice little uh, that's a little nest egg there. So uh, certainly people were out there doing that, and uh, it worked out just fine for them. And now the whole thing is that Teferi will probably take off again. So Teferi is probably a pick on Magic Online. Um, uh, it's already risen a bit, uh, but I think you can probably get in here safely and be up five ticks within a few months, if not ten, uh, and ride it all the way back up. Um, because it's a very popular card, still didn't get banned in standard this week, so still going to be a menace until the fall <laughs> on Magic Online. Uh, relevant in Pioneer, relevant in Modern, certainly relevant in EDH. Um, so there was that. There's also um, the other big action is that treasure chests, which are prize chests that you earn through winning events um, or or can purchase from bots, were as low as about $2 uh, come late March and are now sitting uh, somewhere closer to 245 or something like that. 246 on... Uh, yeah, 246 on GoatBots right now. And the EV, if you count the play points as relevant to you because you need them to play events, is something closer to 2.68. So if you got in on those treasure chests... Uh, end of March at two bucks a piece, you'd be up a full 20%. That is a real nice return for a couple of months with virtually no hassle. Like you can buy dozens and dozens of treasure chests. And the impetus here for the treasure chest taking off real hard is that the Ikoria Commander 20 decks, the EDH decks, are not released as decks on Magic Online. Instead, they take the relevant new cards and stuff them in the treasure chest. And that's the only way you can get them. And since that's the only way you can get them, but people want them to play in their commander decks, the prices on some of these things have gone through the roof. Like, it's just completely ridiculous. At the top of our list this week, we have Ethereal Forager and Bonder's Ornament, two cards I bet Travis has, hasn't even laid eyes on yet, that went from 550 to 1650 for 190% gains on Ethereal Forager. And Bonder's Ornament went from $4 to $23 for a $19 gain per copy, 440% from the day it debuted in the treasure chest. That is crazy pants. That's great. Why do you think I haven't seen these cards? Because I don't think you've been paying attention to the new cards in the commander decks. I will hear no such comments. <laughs> <laughs> Did, are, are you saying that you knew these two cards? I recognize the art for Bonders Ornament. Okay. No, but the thing is, I looked at the spoilers for... I looked at the spoilers when this came out, but because I'm not actively playing, because nobody's actively playing, uh, it hasn't really been, like, imprinted in my brain. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm talking shit, but I, I can't name... I can't tell you what these cards do without looking at them. I think Bonders Ornament is something like you draw... Everybody that has a Bonders Ornament draws cards or something. The, the bottom yeah. the bottom, bottom line is this. So long as they keep doing this nonsense, because keep in mind, we used to get commander decks once a year. So it wasn't, you know, it was a once a year kind of event to plan around. But now it looks like we're going to be getting commander decks every few months. So for as long as that goes on, you can expect that if treasure chests fall back down to a lower level as, as things drag out, Heading back into the fresh commander decks that will be released in the fall, you could easily see treasure chests pop back up again. And if if that becomes a, a, a repeating cycle in the same way that 
shorting or dumping cards and buying back in when sets are redrafted is a thing, then you are just getting more weapons in your arsenal for uh, approaching your magic uh, MTG finance on Magic Online. Okay. Nifty. Sounds like there's a lot of action going on over there, at least. So Calamax the Stormsire was also up from 20 to almost 29 on the back of that, because if you want to play with Calamax uh, on EDH for Magic Online, you have to do it via purchasing the single. Uh, the Power 9 was pulled out of the treasure chest, and vendor bot vendors were immediately complaining because speculators bought, a, bought up most of their inventory and then wrote it up nice and high. Black Lotus is up 44% this week. Um, and the rest of the power nine is in a pretty similar position. So the number of different angles that the the deft uh, deftest members of our Magic Online speculation community are working this week is fairly impressive. Actually, they're they're probably executing trades that are more interesting than than I'm going to say Wall Street, but certainly more intricate than anybody that does personal financial investment banking at a local bank branch ever has to worry about um the only card on here that's not edh treasure chest related that jumped out at me was hydroid crassus being up 150 percent buck 60 to four dollars or so um helped by the commit companion rules change i'm assuming people are thinking this will again be a super dominant card mm. yeah yeah i i suppose so like it's hard to know. I mean, Uro, I saw, who was it? Uh, that guy. You know, that guy. Mm-hmm. Paul Reitzel talking about Uro coming back. So it would make sense to see. Yeah, Crassus alongside. Crisis. Well, I mean, yeah. Bant, Bant has access to Uro, Teferi, and Hydroid all at the same time without any impact from Commandians. So. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving on to paper cards to watch. Uh, we got some picks this week. Uh, first sliver, Modern Horizons. If uh, foil cloud shredder slivers can move, then non-foil first slivers can certainly move. It's only been reported in less, it's, I think it's like less than 1,500 decks on EDH Rex so, since it was released. Not a tremendously high number, but the card sells steadily and has been inching up a few percentage points a week for a while on the basis of slivers are still a very popular casual trot and they're it's entirely possible that the kinds of people that build sliver decks even for edh may not report them online so uh, i could see this going within a year say 15 to 25 because modern horizons is out of print the boxes are getting more expensive there's no way they're going to reprint it anytime soon it's less than a year old so have every reason to believe this mythic will be 25 30 35 40 before it ever sees a reprint yeah, and I think I like the the target here being non-foil because that seems more appropriate for the market you're shooting for on this. Well, uh, I mean, especially fo- given the current circumstances, foils were great, but they they were great when they were cheap last summer. Like you could pick them up in Europe at like twenty five or thirty dollars for foils when it first came out, but now they're at sixty or seventy in North America. So the opportunity is is just absent in the market. It's gone. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, if, if first liver is seeing that type of action, then it certainly makes, uh, I'm sorry, if, oh God, what is it? 
Cloud Shredder Sliver is seeing that type of action. It certainly makes First Sliver a little more viable. And I agree that it's, you know, we, we're talking about how popular EDH is right now. And this is very much going to be an EDH type of card. Um, you're not looking for a tremendous boost here. Uh, and with no, you know, again, no inventory resupply, it seems pretty well positioned. All right. What's your first pick? Um, yeah. So I went digging for EDH cards basically to see what I could find. Um, I, after a couple sales of my own that were, uh, pleasant, um, I went looking for other stuff that would otherwise possibly be, have a bit more of a churn perhaps. I I don't know exactly how to describe what I was looking for, but what I found was, uh, commander sphere, the judge copies, uh, Commander Sphere is in eighty thousand decks. <laughs> That's a now, lot. That feel that feels a little like cheating because that card is in uh, the precons, right. many of the precons. So it kind of gets grandfathered in, basically. Uh, but it's still going to be extremely popular. The Judge promo is the only foil copy of the card, um, and they are currently about twenty bucks. Uh, you know, again, eighty thousand EDH decks. We know it's popular. The supply is pretty low. Um, it's not going to get any better this year. And the judge promo is from 2018. So it's not like it's a really fresh judge promo. Uh, you know, you're not going to see more copies of this show up. So 20 to 30, 35, 40 seems pretty viable. Now, did this show up in some additional like judge promo reprint that I'm not aware of that I missed. Uh, yes. I mean, they're possible. I mean, I might be missing something here, but uh, the type of thing that doesn't show up when you kind of do a dig on TCG player and what have you, but uh, presuming that that's not going on, then I really like the outlook of this just because it's so popular. There's no other foil of it to my knowledge. However, it is a shoe in candidate for commander legends. Yeah, but even if it is, do, um, uh, so I'm, I'm showing my ignorance here, but did they say Commander Legends is having foils, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's For not, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not, but it's not one, per, it's not one every pack. Uh, I'd have to go back and double check what the foil print I, policy I, is. I, I guess it doesn't actually matter. It, this is, that's a fair concern. If this is in Commander Legends as a common or uncommon that brings a pack foil, then this is rougher. Uh, so if you want to hold off and see what that set brings, that's, I think a reasonable plan, but I, you know, if it doesn't show up there, uh, then I think this is in really good shape. Yeah. That's the reprint you've got to fade. Um, it is worth mentioning that other, other cars from 2018 have made at least me solid money and other people too. Uh, I think other things on that list from that year are the vampire, uh, themed vampiric tutor judge foil teferi's protection is on that list merchant scroll these are all judge foils we picked up in europe and made good money on um and i'm pretty sure i passed commander sphere over in favor of those but commander sphere is a lot cheaper than all of those like the vampiric tutor I, i'm selling for 120 now teferi's protection sells about i th- think 80 80 85 right now and it's probably headed for 100 plus so the commander sphere definitely has room if it fades commander legends it would be the kind of card i would triple check on as soon as i started seeing spoilers 
If you want to get a copy now for yourself, the original pack foils, I mean, the original foil version is probably going to hold hold uh, its price reasonably well. But if it's printed as a foil common and there's a bajillion of them, that could really slow your slow your roll. Yeah, and I will say I don't expect this to be uh, any much higher than a common, maybe an uncommon, um, but it's not going to be like a mythic or a rare. So Commander Legends packs are 20 card packs with a foil and two legendary creatures in every single pack. So if foil common there would be crushing um, because yeah. it doesn't have that. The thing about Cloud uh, Thresher sliver foils is... People forget Modern Horizons only had like one foil rare per box, sometimes two. So there really aren't that many. But a set that has a foil in every pack, that's a different story. Yes. Yep. Agreed. All right. So what's your next pick? Mox Amber, the gift that keeps on giving. Sold a bunch of these this week, foils and non-foils. And as I was shipping the foils, I was thinking, should I have just been holding this? Maybe I should just be holding this because foils are in relatively short supply. This is a Dominaria mythic foil. It has legs in Pioneer, Modern, and EDH. Doesn't seem like it's due for a reprint yet. Some small chance it could be in either Commander Legends or uh, Double Masters. Could happen. Uh, It's, what, three years old now? Two? Two? Uh, Ox Amber's Dominaria, right? Yeah, it's Dominaria 2017 or 2018. Oh, I did a good job with this earlier, but now I'm going to say 2018. Uh, yep, April 27th, 2018. So it's two years old. It could show up in Double Masters. Um, so there's a little bit of risk here. But if it does, if it fades those reprints, I could easily see foils going 40 to 60. For 50% gains minus fees, and I could easily see non-foils, if you don't like the foils, going 20 to 30 because I was selling $20 copies this week and having the same thought about how maybe I'm not supposed to be trying very hard to sell these and I should just raise my price. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, 40 to 60 that's not that's such an easy foil change to make. I mean, I feel like if you're the... I don't have the the psychological data in front of me, the marketing data, but I feel like the difference between a $40 foil and a $60 foil is probably almost zero. If you're trying to decide whether you should buy this card. Um, the crazy part here is that we were buying mock Sambers for $7 on the news that war of the spark was about planeswalkers March of 2019 or something and sold them for 20 to $25. And I think started selling it maybe 12 and by the time the ramp was done it was 20 to 25 for non-foils then it collapsed again later and i bought these copies that i sold this week were bought at nine dollars october 2019 uh and probably towards the end of the month when we knew that uh pioneer was a thing and hasn't really done a ton of work in pioneer but it has been relevant in modern because of emery urza and now we've got it you know showing legs again because the the supply is just running running low it it feels kind of i like it feels a little weird talking about some of these cards because i can make i can look at these cards and make the numbers work for almost anything like it feels like i can be like oh yeah this card's gonna go up because why wouldn't it right like look the inventory is low uh it's popular 
blah, blah, blah. But it's like, they're kind of, a lot of cards are in that boat right now. And it, it feels, I don't know. It, it, is it, is it, tr- it, I find myself second guessing a lot of it because it's, are we, is it truly, are those tr- prices truly going to stick because we're not going to have any resupply for a while? And like, this is what's going to happen with these cards for a while. Or is it just what it looks like is going on? But the reality of the situation is that it's just, it's sort of surface level, a little bit of an illusion, and they really won't hold these price changes type of thing. I don't well, know. I, the biggest criticism or factor worth considering is the whole inventory absent from market thing. So if when TCG player turns back on their market system and has a fully functional warehouse and all of the vendors that usually list inventory on tcg player are fully in play and the buy lists recover then you could absolutely see prices for cards especially cards that who's who were getting pressured up on price mostly from a supply side as opposed to a demand side start to collapse that's what you should see so if you have if you have a steady level of demand for a card curse of totem is is still a good example right Hasn't been printed in forever, but not that many people need it. So it's going to have an average number of copies of whatever, five per week that sell North America wide. I don't know what the number is, but for argument's sake. And that number hasn't changed. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that the number that are coming in through buy lists is so much lower. It might have been four copies per week before, 4.8 or something, and now it's dropped to 3.2 copies per week. And so the net net on sold versus resupplied has a widening gap and that's what's leading to a lot of card prices taking off that normally wouldn't make our list mm-hmm. yeah I, well I, it, regardless i think that mox amber is obviously well positioned and i think that the change you're looking for here is very viable all right what's your next card um i uh i sold a 40 dollar foil razikath this week Nice. Uh, which felt very good because I picked up a stack of those at like 10 bucks when they came out in Europe. And I'm like, remember Gristlebrand? Bye, 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 bye. Uh, so they're like 30, 35 at the moment. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. That was one of the cards where I'm like, all right, people are out here buying kind of wild foil EDH cards right now that wasn't really selling before. Um, so what else is out there? I wasn't trying to find a black creature, but it just happened to be the first card that I stumbled upon that really fit kind of what I was looking for. But Shaeldreds, uh, right now, the the Shaeldred, the Whispering One, originally from New Phyrexia, it's in 16,000 EDH rec decks, uh, was originally New Phyrexia. It was reprinted in uh, Iconic Masters and also the pre-release foils. The IMA foils and the new Frexia foils are both over $40 and the pre-release foils, which has totally valid, totally solid art, by the way, it's not, I'm not going to call it better art. I think, or I think worse it's better. Art. It's, yeah. I, I, I'm like, I could see it being better. I don't think it's, um, it's a push roughly. Uh, but anyways, the pre-release foils are like 18 bucks and they're under, they're like 20 tops and there's a couple, there's a handful of them out there. So there's not a huge inventory of these, I think, uh, but given the price of the other two foils and kind of the way we're going right now, I think you can snag these Sheldreds at 20 bucks and probably sell them for 35 to 40 in like, God, I mean, it could be two months. Yeah, I think that's, that's a reasonable play. Very popular card. Does a, 
a thing that's not utterly unique in the format, but popularity speaks for itself. The It could catch a reprint. It does have the Double Masters Commander Legends problem. Iconic Masters is a couple of years back now. But it's like three years, isn't it? There's so many there's so many cards that are on the could be in their list that I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be super, super deep on on the things that could be in these sets, but a couple of copies to hedge bets, sure. I mean, I think you can go you can buy two or three of these and probably be out of them, frankly, by the end of next month. I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I think that it's possible. You don't think? It's, it's entirely possible. If the inventory is that low, sure. And and again, the, even if it catches a reprint, doesn't necessarily invalidate the promo because the promo still has trouble resupplying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Um, what did you say you sold a Razakath for? 40? Like 35 or 40 bucks. Mm. Europe still has copies. Yeah, I mean, it's at least 30. Right. Uh, my last pick is Gilded Lotus Foils out of Dominaria. Uh, currently around 6 bucks. Got a couple of different printings because it was in the promo packs at the LGS level, and there's the pre-release version because it was a rare in Dominaria. Art's great. Card is a massive super staple in EDH. 49,000 decks run it, according to EDH Rec, which means hundreds of thousands of decks probably run it. And so those foils are absolutely going to double up before it catches a reprint. It's going to go 6 to 12. See no reason why they want to put this in Commander Legends, but that's probably your your biggest risk. And if it fades that, you're in great shape. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is real easy. It's the Commander Legends concern, but which is kind of hanging over the head of a lot of our stuff right now but uh yeah this card is insanely popular and it's getting a little bit longer in the tooth as well um and exactly the type of card i can see people deciding to pick up in foil if they're itching to spend some money on their whatchamacallit their stimulus check yeah um okay so that was uh that was easy do we have we have no mtgo picks this week i think i'm gonna switch my official pick on mox amber to the non-foil but I feel equally the same, equally confident in both, given that their current ratio of foiled and non-foiled pricing. Which one do you like better, given that I made that switch? Or which one do you like best out of these five picks? Oh, that that Gilded Lotus is uh, is pretty tempting. It's hard for me to turn down foil monorocks. And I actually looked at a couple foil monorocks when I was trying to look for my cards this week, too. I think that in general, those are rarely going to go wrong all right i'll join you on that gilded lotus foils at a dominaria all right topics of the week well the obvious one the big commander companion change uh which is what we had people had been talking about on social media that we kind of anticipated seemed like a reasonable change which was you know essentially adding a three mana sorcery speed tax to the mechanic which i have to tell you i feel like some companion is still going to be good uh, I don't think this is the death of companions at all because even though it makes the card much, much slower, it's still a card that your opponents can't interact with that's guaranteed to be in your hand and available to cast when you want it. And it just means that like you're not going to cast Yorian on turn five now. You're going to cast him on 
maybe turn eight or nine. Uh, and the deck is certainly going to get worse because you can't just slam Yorian on turn five. But the fact that he's, you know, the card is still guaranteed there to draw when you need it uh, just for a, a higher tax. And it's still definitely going to keep some of these in contention. A lot of this was tied up in how good the Luca Yorian uh, Fires of Invention decks were doing in standard because, of course, Fires of Invention and Winota both caught a ban. Um, alongside the changes to Companion. And that's meant to dismantle a deck that was just absolutely throttling the meta in Standard and and narrowing it down to being just ridiculously predictable. Um, Yorion was flagged by Matt Nass and LSV uh, in their banned list uh, video the other day as the Companion least likely to be knocked out of usefulness on the basis that the percentage difference in the mana cost changed the least so instead of it being uh, automatic five now it's three one turn and five the next for a total of eight mm-hmm. whereas that was good job on your ebay stuff. yeah exactly um, which is funny because i just looked down at my phone i'm gonna i'm gonna edit that sound effect out but i actually just sold a uh, foil phyrexian revoker <laughs> Uh, you want me to, okay, you you want me to tell you what this one was? This was no. I, I mean, it was a fifteen dollar card. I'm not like bragging about it. It was just funny because I just looked down at my phone to see that email, and then you your phone rang. It's actually offers on Bloodstain Mire and Polluted Delta Japanese. Um, right. Foreign is selling, if anything, better during COVID. So people can st- keep steering clear of of foreign cards and letting me sell into that. By all means, just keep believing that nobody buys them. Um, mm-hmm. Alright, so where were we? Uh, yeah, Yorion is least affected because it's, uh, you know, Luris basically is 3 one turn and 3 the next. Yorion is 3 then 5. The kind of decks that are willing to run Yorion tend to be mid-range control focused and playing more of a long game. Luris decks were very low slung and so, you know, having to cast for 3, you know, eat up a turn just to prep the Luris is real bad. Uh, if you still want Luris under those circumstances, you probably probably just want him in the main and, and allow, you know, give up the extra card and allow him to be interacted with. People were also saying Obosh decks, uh, mono red decks in standard uh, are probably in trouble because it, he was a great capper. You hit five and now all your one drops do double damage. Um, having to spend a turn setting that up and then, you know, is a turn later than you want to be killing them. Mm-hmm. I I I am in agreement it's, that Yorion is probably the one that's going to be uh, in the best position here um, for the reasons as described. Uh, now now you know what this has uh, got me wondering about. It, well, well, hold on, hold on, just to finish my thought. It's a shame because I think that this change is going to hit the other the the. The companions that you would most like to see playable, I think, are the ones that get hit the hardest. Um, you know, the other companions, basically the non-Lurus Yorion companions, uh, are the ones who this does who this is the biggest drag on. Which is a shame because those are the one those ones are kind of interesting to law players to do some, you know, some amusing stuff with them. Not good, but amusing. And now that's all just gone. Yeah. Um, what this has me wondering is whether there are more companions in M21. 
You think? No, I don't think. I, mean, I just wonder because wonder. when you nerf rather than ban, they could have just banned Yorion in 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 standard and banned Luris in Pioneer or Modern, or left Luris alone probably, and, and it would have been okay because uh, he was putting up great numbers but wasn't necessarily collapsing the format in on him. Um. I'm just I'm just curious. It's going to be really I, like I, how funny is it? Cuz keep in mind M21 spoilers are this week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so I think go ahead. It, you, it, you, so if uh, they reveal a companion, like everyone's just going to lose their shit. The thing is is that it's a companion isn't a new card type in like it's a planeswalker or equipment or something like that that you would hope to see you would expect to see more of at the outset. Um, the thing that has... It's just its just a mechanic. The thing that has me wondering about it, though, is that they may have thought Companion was like, hey, look, we can infiltrate competitive with EDH and capture more people over to the dark side. Like, they, they see Commander as the thing that makes them the most money. That's obvious. And the reason for that is that the old ad, old adage about commander players only buying one of each card has been proven to be drastically, drastically wrong. As the, as the format has grown, we've realized that commander players collect decks. They identify with a commander that they like, they build an entire deck for that commander, and then they store that deck alongside other decks. And if they've got caught, you know, budgetary restrictions, they, they certainly might be sharing cards between decks, but it's so annoying to do so that most commander players that want to walk into a commander night, get a feel for the room, and then you know, pull something out of their quiver that they think is appropriate, own a bunch of decks. Whereas a competitive player, you know, grinders especially are infamous for borrowing decks from each other or, you know, borrowing cards from their sponsor or the store, um, you know, buying and selling cards and flipping into another deck. But very rarely does somebody in standard like own a full gauntlet, which is why there's, you know, a million stories about pros needing cards last minute at pro tours and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I... Yes, Companion is clearly Wizards putting EDH in standard. I'm not sold that we're going to have Companion in in the core set. Mostly, like, I don't think of this change as being proof that that's what they're trying to do. Because I think that if your Wizards banning all 10 cards looks really, really bad, that is the super nuclear option um and basically says wow we ruined this mechanic entirely it's unmakeable whereas making a change to the rules is well this still allows people to play with their card if you built a a dog deck that uses this companion as another lore type of thing like you can still play with it it's bad but you didn't care if it was bad i think that that kind of is going to be their incentive here um i think it's not about paving the way for more companions in the road i think it's about being able to salvage 10 cards that non-competitive players might enjoy i agree that they're probably not in there (laughs) but i have a feeling we haven't seen the last of them Uh, i guess i i just i don't see it being a huge sales angle for them it like i don't if they thought they nailed it, like if companions had had turned out to be really well balanced, I think it would have been a huge win. I think they were very 
it's arguably the most interesting thing they've done since Planeswalkers. That's a tall order. But it's true. It's a card outside the game that you, you get that you get to build you have to build your whole deck around. I mean, Yorion generating a bunch of 80 card decks in multiple formats is a big deal. That's that's it's pro- okay. That's a me- and 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 they were meta warping right away. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I'm if I'm considering a different definition of interesting, right, well, that doesn't imply that, that has no value judgment, then I suppose that's a reasonable <laughs> sure. claim to make. Um I I, I, I just think it's in, I think it's in, so funny. It would be so so funny if every set for the rest of the year had companions. In oh it. god. That they just thought these were going to be in every set now. They were evergreen. Well, that would be... I wonder if that would be the change they would make if they were going to do that. Because that because this change renders all of the companions for the rest of the year... You, you assume meaningless if that's the change. If this is a change they make, and they have already in the books at the printers these other companions lined up and the sets balanced around them under the old ruling. But now that's different. Those are going to be unplayable. Most likely. Most likely. So you've basically, yeah, you've basically trashed the mechanic. If you have, I actually, now that I think about it, if you have companions in other sets, I think this is specifically not the change you make. You ban Yorian and Luris where appropriate. And then leave the rest because you need to make sure that those other companions in three months are still playable. One of the reality checks on this evil fantasy is that something that other pros have flagged is that there's only so many ways you can skin this cat. Like companions are really hard to make because yes, the different yeah. the, the total number of deck restrictions that you can name that are not either insanely derivative uh like kahira the orphan guard uh being working with specific creature types is the kind of thing where you could make a whole bunch of those but how interesting are they to to approach and things like deck size and hand size and whatever and casting costs of things in your deck are one trick ponies you can't can't go back to that well very often yeah i i I almost think that i read gavin or someone talking about how you wouldn't see a huge amount of these because of that reason like we found just getting to 10 of them uh unique companion functions was difficult and it wasn't going to be easy to generate a bunch more of them which i think is completely accurate right uh and that alone could be the reason why you don't see 30 more companions this year because trying to think of a condition that is doesn't basically doesn't require checking the deck ahead of time Right, like essentially, the the how do you keep your opponents honest is impossible. Like ver- the the number you run out of things very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Anyway, we can, we can move along. Companions are handled for the time being. Interestingly, I think it from a financial perspective, it puts a real dampener on opening Ikoria boxes because there are ten cards that are dramatically less interesting and effective than they were right before that ban uh certainly less important from almost many angles one of them is outright banned in edh was from the get-go lutri um and the rest have been have been hampered so 
it it encourages people to buy key Ikoria singles a lot more than it does to pursue booster boxes. And and also, these are now sets that you know the standard card relevant cards within are practically useless in paper. We know there are no major events till for the rest of the year. And I think that even if, you know, Small Town USA is able to get an LGS night together, it's going to be tough. Like, tough to make that financially viable. Yeah, that's going to be the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that uh, Ikori is in a really weird spot and uh, might end up with some of these, like the alt-art cards in a really weird spot because... You're, you're right. No one's going to be opening the product, and then what's going to happen to all of those? You know, in a year, two years, what are the prices on that type of stuff going to look like? <laughs> I've already made fun of extended arts, uh, including all the rares from the set that are neither show that are not showcased, as resulting in bulk masterpieces, uh, because. That's just the truth. You have all these like 50 cent rares that have masterpiece versions for no reason. Um, and it's even more weird when there's literally nowhere to play them and no other format that wants them. Mm-hmm. It's. Yeah, they are very cool, though. Like, I have to tell you, I'm sitting here flipping through the Ikoria all arts, the comic book arts. And I am struck by how good they all are. Ha- have you had them in hand? No. Okay. No. So I don't. I don't. I'm gonna I know open your Icoria product. You're shipped to my house, and then I'll look at yeah, it. Yeah, you're you're not much of a comics guy, right? Mm. I've always appreciated it at a distance, but I've never like been a collector or anything. So take a take a look at Mike Mignola's work, specifically with Hellboy. Um, he's known for a lot of shadow and hyper saturated comic art, um, really thick line work. And the artists that worked on the showcases for Ikoria really dipped into that oeuvre, as it were. They're in hand. Those cards look amazing. Like I cracked some pre-release kits this weekend and (laughs) it's not close. There's zero reason. If you want to play any of the cards in question, there's zero reason to be playing the original versions as opposed to the showcase versions. It's the first showcase where I felt like they just absolutely knocked it out of the park. The the only the only sad part is, unless you're playing a mutate deck in EDH, there's not a lot of reason to be chasing the showcases because relatively few of them are relevant. I, I think it would be interesting if over the course of a couple of years, they looked back at all of the all art kind of work that they did you know, the tattoo series, the sort of, you know, watercolor series that we'll see, the CGI series, you know, the comic book series, all the arts they did, and then figure out which ones are really good and then say, we're going to do a bunch more of these. Can you imagine if just every set had comic book promos, just like all of them? Well, Uh, that would be awesome because then it would allow you to to like collect those over the years and build up and they're just it's such a good art style that works very well within magic right like with it it's a a a form that matches the medium very well there's a high amount of crossover in contrast to like the tattoo design which is i think is is uh is nifty and clever and i like the idea of it but it doesn't feel like it's mated as well as comic book and magic 
I have been doing some brainstorming, uh, trying to work through some alternate reality economies for magic. Um, having spent a large portion of my week arguing with people about whether or not expensive products were okay um, for the health of the game, the it did lead me to wondering how else you could, if you were starting from scratch and you wanted to be just as big and make just as much money, how else could you... Uh, structure this game because most of the ways that people suggest are wrong they're they just wouldn't work or they wouldn't they wouldn't have guaranteed the game's success to the same uh extent but there are some other ways uh, there are some other models that might have been viable um that are maybe we'll talk about it uh, on a future cast one of them is the concept of a living card game with a subscription model and i don't want to get too deep into it now but imagine if following through on your thoughts about uh, them just saying, here's a style of art, like say this anime, this comic book style monster art, um, and we're just going to make it permanently available. So there's four styles of art now for every set, and when the Zendikar 3 comes out, you get uh, four copies of every card in the set for X number of dollars, and you can choose from four art styles. And they're available for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Like every set, we denote twenty cards, and those twenty cards get a couple different art treatments, and you can buy a special pack of those twenty cards and that art treatment for a day. Kind of a more regimented secret layer, or a different approach to collector boosters, um, a yeah. replacement for them in some way. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting potential there. So, as though we weren't living through dark enough days, you wanted to talk about the disaster on the horizon. Um, well, yeah, this this kind of struck me as I was sitting around the other day, and I'm looking at social media and seeing the the, the protests and um, you know every the the the, the destruction the unhappiness um the outrage ba- basically the the i'm gonna i'm gonna shortcut this to the uh the civil unrest re- you know that is going on right now and a while ago um cassie andres wrote an article for star city about the future death of magic and the death of magic is you know bandied about here and there and you know oh, this the lack of fetchery prints is going to kill magic like yeah sure whatever buddy uh what is actually going to kill magic um counterfeits potentially could do it and it depends on what your definition of kill is but counterfeits is one of them um you know if you had corporate leadership come into hasbro or wizards that just says we are going to burn this to the ground to make as much money for the stockholders in the next five years. And we are not intending to keep magic around as a property after that. Um, you know, that could be disastrous for the game in the long, long frame. You get the idea. Uh, there are a couple different things that could, that could kill magic, but one of them and seemingly more likely than the others is the concern over, um, the climate. Uh, and if to tie this back to what I was saying before, if you think that the riots are bad right now, wait till these riots are because people can't get food or because they can't get fresh water. 
that's going to be a whole other level of civil unrest. And that's all viable outcomes with the environmental changes on the horizon. So where, what I kind of landed on is it just all just sort of struck me at once. I'm kind of talking you through it, but it was all in my head almost immediately. I think that all of us should be out of any, should, should assume that any magic card that we own after a decade is close to meaningless or close to valueless. And I think that we should all be looking to be out of any card that we need the value in probably in about a decade. I don't know if that's exactly when it's going to, I obviously don't know when that's going to happen exactly. Maybe it's five years, maybe it's 25 years, but I think that's a rough goalpost. That means sell your power, sell anything graded, uh, anything valuable. I think you're looking at, I would be looking to get out of in probably about 10 years because no one is going to care about paper magic cards when they can't get fresh water. That doesn't mean that no one will ever play magic again, but it means that the market and the availability of magic cards as we know it today is going to be a thing of the past once that starts happening. And it's, this is all grim. This is all very grim. And I'm sorry to, to put a damper and the episode on a damper here, but it just kind of struck me like, damn, these aren't, maybe this isn't the type of thing, you know, we can hand down to our children when we're older because or the, 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 the nature of how we hand it down to our children changes because of what could, what may come to transpire here. I have a, a slightly different take. I think that we need to look at the future along a spectrum of probability. And there's plenty of evidence that we as a, as a species are doing a pretty poor job of responding to what I would label invisible threats complex systems we seem to have trouble parsing as threats um i would argue that m much of the racial unrest in the u.s is based on people not realizing how much structural threat is built into the existing systems um how you know the prison the profiteering on weapons sold to police forces and uh keeping young black men in jail uh, in for-profit prisons contributes to what goes on um, and the lack of resolution and justice uh, for the relevant affected communities. And we did a pretty shit poor job of handling COVID. I mean, we still are. Uh, people rioting in the streets was the last thing that you want to do just as you're starting to put the virus to bed. Uh, or put it, you know, seeing cases drop off, um, which has been in the case in, in most places, but not all. Um, some were just getting into peaks as this all kicked off. So now you've got a very dangerous com combination of a pandemic plus uh, widespread uh, protesting riots, et cetera, et cetera. And beyond all of that, as as you're drawing attention to, there's still a looming environmental crisis because even though we're being kinder to the earth during this period of everybody being stuck at home, I think they said for Toronto area, which affects your air too, because you're just across the lake, um, nitrous uh, dioxide, I think it is, uh, was down like 30 or 40%. Uh, so significant improvements to air quality coming out of a city of four or five million that has a ridiculous traffic problem. However, 
5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road, if we still haven't addressed, you know, the burning of fossil fuels and cleaning up our environment and sustainable fishing and you know, making sure the oceans are okay and the icebergs haven't all melted, then we're going to be in really f- big fucking trouble. <laughs> and in the case mm-hmm. where that comes true, yeah, you're right. We're not going to be able to pass on our our collectibles and knickknacks to our kids. Um, but I'm also not convinced that, you know, say like World War III was going to kick off in 15 years. If you exit to cash in 10 years, you better be redirecting that money to setting up your cabin in the woods on the 60th parallel as opposed to buying a new couch because only one of those two things is going to result in changing your destiny in the face of of uh, global crisis. So, well, I, I can't seek to <laughs> to give comprehensive life strategy for Mad Max for, era, <laughs> right? For like, there's that's not within the, the scope of my ability it's a outside of our, our realm of yeah. expertise. My my point is, if you think what's going on right now feels nuts. There is a very strong possibility that it is going to get much more wild. And the things that you need to care about and the places where you hold your value are going to change dramatically somewhere in our lifetime. And I don't want to have double or triple digits worth of money tied up in magic cards because that could evaporate when that becomes a problem. I would rather have it tied up in something that I can make use of should it start to get pretty serious. And, you know, we could spend a while talking about what all this might end up looking like for us. And it's going to change hugely based on where geographically you are, right? If you live in South Dakota or Wyoming or what have have you, climate change or, you know, God, for God's sakes, India, Florida, um, climate change is going to have a very different impact on your life than if you live up in, you know, where we are, where we're actually next to fresh water and the temperature is already pretty temperate. Um, but it's just a like, keep in mind that these realistically shouldn't be the store of value for an unforeseen number of years that you probably wanted them to be. I d- my household definitely we don't consider ourselves to be anything near the tinfoil hat brigade and 10 years ago i would have laughed at people that were building bunkers for the apocalypse but at this point having a backup plan in the case of extreme crisis does not seem so crazy in 2020 <laughs> like mm-hmm. just having some skill like basic skills like growing your own food raising livestock hunting fishing being able to navigate the woods uh, ha- you know, having access to a remote location, uh, none of that seems crazy to me anymore. Probably, probably still mostly far-fetched. They, there's, there is absolutely a spectrum of probability, and humanity has every motivation to solve a lot of these problems. We, we should figure out how to rule democratically and effectively. We should figure out how to manage the limited environmental resources we are given. We should absolutely figure out uh a best uh best approach to managing pandemics etc we're just doing such a bad job of it that it's hard to to put much faith in in perfection yeah you know there are 
<laughs> yeah, you could ground every non-critical flight tomorrow in the world. You could guillotine the oil executives on the steps of the Capitol and to send a message. Um, you could stop making cell phones, which have a terrible impact in you know on mining for you know precious metals and things of that nature. There are changes that humanity could make that would be um, significant and uh, are necessary, really, to head off major environmental catastrophe. At the moment, looking out the window, does it feel like any of that's going to happen? No. So <laughs> this is definitely a hate to be the bearer of bad news, but given all the possible outcomes here, this is a very easy way to give yourself uh, a more reasonable hope of a positive future should things should a certain substance hit spinning blades. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is another uh, risk to magic. And I think to a lot of in-person uh, gaming not necessarily to the brand, but certainly to the way that we play it and how, you know, a Lara's generation may play it. My daughter's three. Um, board games have gone through a real nostalgia resurgence period in the last five years, but that doesn't mean that's going to continue forever. And as we get into quantum computing and really great VR, which is absolutely we're on the cu- something we're on the cusp of, I've, you have every reason to believe that magic the gathering will just be a virtual experience in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like you could just be stepping mm-hmm. into VR and casting all the same spells and collecting them virtually. And because it's still, because there's a gathering, like currently digital is limited by its lack of a gathering. You're not really, you can't talk face to face. And that's why people are, are moving from, uh, s- some people prefer webcam with voice EDH to you know magic online edh but, but yeah, if you go absolutely. if you go to vr and you and i can meet there and and shit talk while we're playing and you look like ugin and i look like bolas dude that'll be a home run and it's completely unclear whether it'll be worth printing paper anymore i mean that's another change as well i, I you know i that to me is is a is a different challenge, and I think it's probably like less severe because if I'm, I'll have a lot of opportunity for experiences like that, um, these crazy VR experiences. Uh, and frankly, would I want to play VR Magic if I could VR pilot a X Wing? Seems like once I've gotten to that stage, there might be other activities I want to put that effort into that are a little more harder to get to. Magic Strength, I feel like, has always been in the fact that it's a paper product and people enjoy the physical aspect of it, right? It's a feature, not a bug. Um, But at the same time, I don't think that everyone shares my opinions. uh, And some people will definitely be turned off to paper magic if they can play it all in VR. But do you, well, so, and, and but, I think it's important to understand that there are there's a difference between a brand that can that can survive shifts in culture and technology, 
and one who and and a hobby whose very nature is undermined by those shifts. So I think a great comparison would be something like Marvel or Star Wars, and to some extent magic, can all make the transition to VR. Because fighting as a Jedi or as a superhero um, or being like a superhero fighting within a, a movie narrative. So like Avengers 12 is Avengers fighting. You're watching the movie while you're living the movie. You're literally in there changing the course of the the result of the movie based on your actions while participating. That's a future thing that will happen. Like when Alara's 20, I'm sure she will have that opportunity as a way to interact with media. Ditto with magic, ditto with Star Wars. But something like stamp collecting, that's predicated on there being a mail system that uses stamps. And there are still people that stamp collect, but they are by their demographic is shifting older and older and older. And I guarantee you there are no 10 year olds collecting stamps. <laughs> yeah, not not a lot of them anyways. Very, very few. And getting few like fewer and fewer all the time, right? So yeah, in yeah. the same way that probably way more kids knew how to ride a horse 150 years ago than do today, uh, you know, things like stamp collecting are just going to die. You're not going to have VR-based stamp collecting. No, I, I agree with that. So let me ask you, do you agree with my general consensus, general point here, that you should not own any magic cards for which the value is meaningful in about 10 to 15 years here's my meaningful meaningful to you here's my modification to that that i think is more likely to be useful to to our listeners you look at magic on a five-year horizon and on at the start of any given year look around you and ask yourself whether you feel like this hobby is still going to exist in the same way or a similar way in five years and if the answer is yes then you're fine and you can evaluate that on a year by year basis and you might get to a year where the shit has hit the fan and the world is in a crazy crazy place and this kind of thing is just going to seem completely trivial and maybe there are still people buying your cards and you can turn your cards into water (laughs) but if, if you wait too long down that really negative, dark path, then you'll get to the point where, you know, a war could kick off and you've got a bunch of collectibles in your house that you just have to abandon because you've got to run. You know, I have, mm-hmm. I have friends that are literal refugees from various spots in the world where they grew up in war-torn sectors um, and their childhoods are just completely different than anything most of us experienced. And they have no trouble imagining such a world because they've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so and- I, I think that th- there are some events, like say they tell us tomorrow that in three months, a meteor is going to destroy the planet where, yeah, you're not going to be able to wow. be able to get out of your magic <laughs> cards, but it's not going to matter. There are, yeah, I'd say that's a little there different. Are, there are some <laughs> events like a hundred-year decline in our environment where humanity is still spending money on this kind of stuff. Uh, it's about acute uh, scenarios, and I think that in a lot of cases, if you try to get out ahead of those, you may or may not be proven smart. Um, but I think I think the the takeaway point is more like. The rest of the century is going to be 
pretty crazy. <laughs> there's a lot Century. of there's a lot of things to be worried about. <laughs> Month. <laughs> and if you want to set up your family to have the best chances, you probably do want to start thinking about what a backup plan looks like and whether you have any funds directed towards that. Now, a caveat for that is that the generation behind us, in the same way that they complain that there are parts of Magic, the brand, that they can't interact with because they can't afford it, the privilege that they lack in terms of how they've had to live through two major economic crises, practically flat growth in their salaries and access to advancement, all contributes to that generation having even less flexibility to even respond to that kind of advice. You know, how if you're 23 and you make 20, 50 a year or something, and you can barely afford your your basic expenses in any given month it's you're not going to be able to go buy a half million dollar cabin in the woods well i agree uh but i don't think that i mean it makes my point here that you don't want to own any terribly expensive magic cards as we get closer to these types of events less I mean, it, it makes that slightly less relevant because those types of individuals are less likely to own any of those types of cards. But if they have them, it's going to represent a even larger share of their net worth. And they should. Cons- and so the advice is, is really even more relevant because if you happen to have it, then it really is a big problem for you. Um, and I, I'm fine with the modification of rather than thinking about it in 10 years, you know, look at magic on a, I'm going to say three to four year horizon from where you are at any given time. And if it seems like three years from now, magic might not exist in the way that you know of it, then it might be time to start ditching cards and maybe you start ditching cards. But, you know, even when I say that out loud, what does magic look like in three years from today? I, I don't know there. It is not hard to imagine a scenario in America that makes magic cards seem a lot less important in 2023 than they are today. Uh, Things change very quickly. Now I'm talking about political unrest rather than environmental. And I think you have a little more time on an environmental scale, but uh, I guess I wanted to put the idea in people's heads that this is not the give these to your grandchildren that uh, you might have hoped it what all was, which is unfortunate, but I think it, it, it needs to be kept in mind for some of our listeners. Fair enough. All right, so let's uh, put this episode to bed. Uh, we're not going to promote our own stuff today. That's kind of part of the ball game this Tuesday. So uh, we'll just say that you can find us uh, on Twitter if you need us. You can find us in our Discord, um, and we're going to be looking for opportunities uh today and on the go forward to support voices that are uh, fighting for change and look for ways that we can make a positive impact on all uh, the madness that is currently going on. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. All right. So we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.